Welcome to the Matterhorn Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Waller. Here, we have conversations about cultural studies, the arts, and writing. If you want to sign up to my Substack newsletter for free, just click on the link in this homepage. Vogue. Paris is burning, Pose, Madonna, and a magazine. Vogue, the word. The word vogue means something that is in fashion, but it has come to also mean a type of dancing or movement, as well as to be synonymous with the fashion magazine. The word comes from French, where it also means fashion, but also a type of success, originally at least. The word comes from drift, swaying motion of a boat, literally of rowing, from the old French vogue, to row, sway, set sail, from the 15th century not unlike the word vague, which means wave, like French New Wave Cinema or Nouvelle Vague. It makes sense that a word about the sea's waves and rowing would be used for fashion, not only of clothing, but anything that is at the peak of a wave. Furthermore, fashions come and go, and come again, much like the movement of waves. Vogue magazine. For the 130th anniversary of Vogue magazine, the editor said this in retrospect, quote, since its founding in 1892, Vogue has never been just about the rise and fall of hemlines, but focused on cultural and societal shifts as well. For many years, the Vogue covers featured colorful storytelling pictures by leading illustrators that romanced the woman of leisure as she followed the sun, hit the slopes, and lived for the night. Once fashion photography was deemed an art circa the mid-1930s, the magazine began greeting its readers with stylized snaps of real-life beauties and professional models. Eventually, it began showcasing actors, Kate Blanchett, Angelina Jolie, Lupita Nyong'o, and entertainers, Cher, Beyonce, Rihanna. Until magazines recently went largely online, Vogue also had a host of excellent writers. I used to suggest that many of my high school students look there for examples of great essays. However, even in the words of Anna Wintour, Vogue has become stale and predictable, and it has happened in spite of some of the best editors, writers, and photographers in the business. In What's Wrong with Vogue, Kathy Horan of the New York Times explores what went wrong and comes up with the answer of web-based media. I'll be coming back to fashion in September, the month that Vogue's September issue coincides with the most important fashion shows of the year. Below is the trailer for the eponymous film and documentary that focuses as much as possible on the elusive Wintour. Additionally, other fashion documentaries may add for an interesting viewing list. Paris is Burning and Ball Culture Jenny Livingston's 1990 documentary Paris is Burning that captures the drag scene of 1980s New York City is an important film in cinematic and cultural studies history one that many Poe's television viewers were unaware of when they first encountered ball culture and voguing outside of Madonna's realm on screen. The film is available on YouTube with Spanish subtitles if you don't have a method of watching, but it's much better to pay if you can find it that way, of course. Why is it important? The film is a celebration of a certain articulation of queerness and the way people can form new brothers, sisters, parents, and cousins after being rejected by their own families, the documentary allows people who participated in ball culture in 1980s New York City, particularly in Harlem, to articulate their own dreams and desires, as well as their traumas and the fears surrounding, especially, AIDS at that time. The ball itself is important because it embodies that celebration, 
At the same time, it emphasizes the need to retreat to an interior, to a particular kind of space in order to celebrate. It is a kind of acting, yes, but one that I would argue asserts identity rather than denying authenticity. If you were to look at academic journal databases, you would find a slew of articles focused mainly on this film, including these linked here. The Subversive Edge, Paris's Burning, Social Critique, and the Limits of Subjective Agency. Paris is Burning, How Society's Stratification Systems Make Drag Queens of Us All. Gender Racial Realness, Theorizing the Gender System in Ballroom Culture. Brothers and Sisters, Sibling Loves in Paris is Burning. And Performative Transformation of the Public Queer in Paris is Burning. The last article in the above list opens with a discussion of the way the subjects play with the idea of school, at once mocking it and yearning for it as a type of ultimate commodity. This is a quote. In one of the universally ignored scenes from Jenny Livingston's 1991 documentary, Paris is Burning, several subjects of the film perform the category school. Like all categories performed in Paris, school puts the gender, race, class grid to work, demonstrating both the scriptedness and the uncanny, overwrought quality of a position which is incessantly naturalized in our daily media. For a few moments of the film, a young androgynous Hispanic male sports what is clearly a plain t-shirt, retrofit with the letters that spell Yale University. The shoddiness of the imitation not only dramatizes how inescapably even consumer significations of school circulate out of the reach of the performers in the film, and thereby how much school is a project of class consumption. It also suggests the social overdeterminations of a category like intelligence. If one, functions, if one function of the school is to re reward kinds of performance based on criteria of merit, to produce intelligence and to reproduce conditions under which kinds of intelligence are recognized, then the uncanny faux t-shirt worn in this context reminds us that another function is to ameliorate social differences coincidentally described by race, ethnicity, sexuality, and gender. As Paris Perform suggests, school is a site of anxious performance where the conditions of being intelligent run headlong into the social asymmetries reproduced by institutions of neoliberal nation states. This article looks at the way the people of the film are constant outsiders due to their sexuality, gender, race, class, and here emphasized education. The film is largely about access or a lack thereof, but it likewise gives voices to the people Livingston gives screen time to. Just a couple years after the film finally aired, although filmed in the 80s, already several of the main characters had died, strangulation, heart attack. Their lives were difficult. The New York Times revisited what was going on already in 1993 with drag more generally in relation to ball culture and the film. This is a quote. Paris is no longer burning. It has burned. And not only because of the casualties. No one needs to go to a ball to see drag anymore. Dame Edna Everage has television specials. RuPaul mugs on the covers of, of magazines. Fashion shows feature drag acts on the runway. No one needs to go to a ball to see voguing either, not since Madonna gobbled it up, appropriating two extravaganzas in the process. Once mainstream America began to copy a subculture that was copying it, the subculture itself was no longer of interest to a wider audience, and whatever new opportunities existed for the principles dried up. 
After one show last year at the jazz club Sweetwaters, Octavia San Lawrence, for instance, returned to dancing behind glass at the show palace. And the balls which had moved downstairs in their moment of fame had moved mostly back to Harlem. More on Madonna in a moment, but for now it's interesting to look at the idea that a subculture's fame could also lead to its erasure, or at least correlate with it. The film's success did not make the filmmaker rich, but it did give her access to working on more films. Livingston understands her privilege, despite being a female filmmaker, as an educated white artist. Influence of ball culture and the film is also in the way we speak. As The Guardian investigated in 2015, Ball culture's lexical influence is legion. As Daily Dot writer Mary Emily O'Hara pointed out, if you've ever used words like fierce or shady or commented, yes, queen, or work on a cute Instagram pic, you've been speaking the language of the ball scene, likely without ever realizing where it came from. But even though Livingston attempted to give, give this voice to a subculture, the film is often met with rejection for using the participants despite the fact that the key actors were paid against normal documentary journalistic practice. For example, a showing about 10 years ago in Harlem was canceled. Then a change.org petition was launched by the collective Paris is Burnt. It called for the cancellation of the event, blasted the film as an anthropological foray into the lives of low-income, TQPOC ballroom members, and issued a list of demands to both the organizers and Livingston. The petition also drew a connection between the event's all-white lineup and the rapid recent gentrification of Brooklyn. This is the appropriation of our narratives for the sake of entertaining a gentrifying majority white audience that seeks to consume us and call it paying homage. Perhaps if the event itself had included more authentic voices like those of the film, it would have been accepted. The only special guest was La Tigre's J.D. Sampson, a white, lesbian, and genderqueer musician who has no connection to the ball scene. Perhaps this goes back then to the issue of education and access. Who is put on stage? Who is giving the camera? Although the ball community was able to tell their story, it is all filtered through the lens and editing of Livingston. While her intentions may have been to support, celebrate, and also expose injustice, would it have been better told from within the community, or did her lens create enough distance to share the story in a more meaningful way? We need an alternative telling to understand the difference in impact. Poe's TV show. During the pandemic, along came a fictional television show on the same sub subject called Pose from 2018 to 21. Although Poe's co-executive producer, writer, and director Janet Mock said Poe's would never reference Paris is Burning, since the two projects ex exist in parallel universes, many have noted that several of the characters have striking resemblances and storylines to the original film. Perhaps it was unavoidable. Despite the insistence of its distinction from the film, the television's creators discuss their love of the original. Janet Mock, for example, who describes herself as a trans woman of color but an individual who doesn't speak for others, explains how one might both find it a powerful and problematic film. To me, Paris is Burning is such a gift in the sense that it introduced me to a world and to people who were very much like me. I saw it when I was in high school at my friend's house on VHS, and it was powerful to be introduced to Octavia, to Venus, and to Corey. And for me, I think it's a gift that Jenny Livingston was there at that time, because we know that many of these people are not here today. The remaining survivors are very much involved in our series. 
Yeah, there's a complicatedness of who's gaze, who controls the camera, who's behind it. Madonna and Voguing. Both the film and television show bring us back to Madonna and the song and dance of Vogue that came out the same year as Livingston's documentary. For a bit of background, you can look at the FT's Life of a Song on this hit. I love that series. Many forget that although Madonna is a hugely successful and rich white woman, she started out with a lot less. Madonna found a surrogate family in the queer dance scene when she dropped out of college to move to New York in 1978. She was still a teenager when she left her native Michigan with, she says, $35 in her pocket. Still, many argue that voguing wasn't hers for the taking. Was Madonna's song accepted cultural appropriation? In the historic mainstream appropriation of ballroom culture, Them Magazine investigates this topic and includes links to more recent documentaries about ball culture. The article goes through historical references to Vogue and considers both the integrity of Madonna's dance and production's influence by real Voguers as well as her appropriation of it. Madonna released her single, Vogue, on March 27, 1990. The, vi- the video, directed by David Fincher, features Voguers Jose Gutierrez Extravaganza and Luis Camacho Extravaganza, among others, who also choreographed it. Considered by many critics to be one of the best music videos of all time, the video and song brought voguing into mainstream culture more than it ever had been, but Madonna's work was not without its flaws. Madonna was and has since been accused of cultural appropriation for the track, all the celebrities the singer mentioned in the song are white, while also erasing voguing's original context as a creation of queer people of color. And because Madonna, an ever-changing pop singer, made the song, Voguing was largely dismissed as a fad. While some in ball culture said this no, paid this no mind, they had always vogued and were going to continue doing so no matter the mainstream's opinion. The singer was minting money off of a culture she had only just been introduced to, while many in that culture still struggled. It's a complicated scenario, and one even more complex based on the mixed reactions from different communities, including those who consider themselves a part of ball culture. Madonna continues to have a strong support from the LGBTQIA community and vice versa as an advocate. Here's a nuanced consideration from Fansided. Here's the quote. When you look back at the situation, though, is Madonna the one to blame? It's a complicated case of cultural appropriation where the artist seemingly took all the appropriate steps. She appreciated the culture and made sure to give credit where credit is due. After all, she was inspired by the ball scene itself. She worked with two dancers from the scene, hired them for the video, and even brought them on tour with her. But does that make it right? And if not, how could she have navigated that situation differently? Or did it help catapult a subculture into the mainstream, as the FT posited in 2022 on their Life of a Song column? Here's their quote. Voguing feels both like precision and letting go. It's like flying, says Ricky Tucker, author of new book, and the category is Inside New York's Vogue House and Ballroom Community. In his love letter to the exuberant Black and Latinx LGBT plus drag subculture that began in the Harlem ballroom scene in the 1980s, Tucker says that like many queer music lovers, he was first turned on to a liberating scene by Madonna's 1990 hit Vogue. Others in the LGBT plus community remain angry that a straight white woman commercialized and in their view, kitschified their culture. Ricky Tucker believes it's okay for queer fans to feel simultaneously empowered and exploited by the song. 
I'd be wasting my time if I were looking for evidence as to whether or not Madonna's Vogue was good or bad, he says. It's more complicated than that. So yeah, the answer is not black and white, as one might expect. Historically, it's happened. The song, the subculture, the film, the television show, and all the narratives that surround them coexist. I would posit that it makes more sense to consider their impact now and what it means for communities, language, gender, music, unbiased journalism, and more. I guess that's why Paris is Burning remains an academic hot topic and is often used in course syllabi. Tell us what you think or add in text you think we should see. Here's a link as well to a recent New York Times article about the term mother and its origins in ball culture. If you want to access all the media for these posts, including videos, hyperlinked references, and further reading, images, and the occasional Spotify playlist, you, you can subscribe for free to the Matterhorn, Intersections of Literature and Art on Substack. <laughs>